Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Adam Hill, who is the Director of HR at Obsess. Welcome, Adam. Hey, Lindsay. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on. So tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yeah. So my name is Adam Hill. I uh, run HR at a company called Obsess. Um, Obsess is a, an experiential e-commerce company. So we make uh, 3D sort of virtual experiences for retailers, um, sort of play in the metaverse space a little bit. Um, my job uh, sort of came about through my experience in uh, sort of the startup world. So I've mm. worked with startups for probably, well, really for my whole career, but probably 15 plus years now, um, founded some stuff. Um, the last couple of companies I worked for were both um, sort of agencies, so uh, software development agency and an e-commerce agency. Um, before that, I I had a wine business. I ran a co-working space. I, I co-founded a startup accelerator. So I've, I've uh, done quite a bit in uh, in and wow. around the early stage kind of startup space. That's awesome. So, what do you enjoy most about startups? Yeah, I like the uh, the fast pace. Um, startups are changing constantly. Uh, so I tell people uh, when I'm talking to new potential hires that they really need to be comfortable with a really sort of fast pace of change. And the change can be anything from, Mm. Hey, we're moving offices next week, uh, which happens quite a bit to, (laughs) you know, new software systems, new teams forming that sort of thing. Um, One of the things I I really personally like about the earlier stage is having a defined impact on the bottom line of the company. Mm. So I have never liked the idea and I haven't experienced it really of working in a large corporation where you're really not moving the needle or you're not able to kind of see your impact on the company as a whole. And in a startup, you really can kind of see day to day, you know, your impact on the company. Um, There's, there's a downside to that in that you, you kind of can't hide if you're not doing a good job, it's going to be obvious. Um, And uh, I, I derive a lot of sort of personal value out of knowing you know, how I'm able to sort of impact the, the company as a whole. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot in common with that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so true. A lot of my experience happened because I worked in startups, small business, and you're so close to so many aspects of the business that you upskill really, really quickly. Did you find that happened for yourself? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the um, the smaller the company, the more hats you need to wear. Uh, yeah. So I've I've touched on a lot of parts of businesses that I wouldn't have otherwise. So I've, I've you know worked in startups where we needed to to bring in revenue, and so we had to sell, and we didn't have you know money to hire a salesperson. So okay, well now I guess I'm the salesperson right now. <laughs> um, so you get to learn a lot of things because it's not especially the, the earlier you go, there's not a lot of like, this is your job, this is your lane, stay in your lane, um, which I really enjoy. I like being able to kind of solve interesting problems that I haven't maybe even touched before. Um, the the yeah. further I go in my career and, and the larger the the startup is or the company that I work with is, 
you know, it's a little bit more focused. So right now I'm obviously very mm-hmm. focused on the, the HR and people side of things. Um, but I think having the experience of upskilling and all these sort of various elements, you know, really helps when I'm working with, you know, our VP of sales or, or, or engineering managers, um, you know, I have some understanding of what's going on. They're far from an expert in their fields, obviously. Um, but on the, the people ops side, it gives me, um, gives me sort of a view of what's going on that I wouldn't have had otherwise that, that I find tends to be really, really helpful. Yeah. So I want to take a moment and talk about your ops experience and how that has translated over into what you do with people. So can you give our listeners a little bit of background about your experience in operations? Yeah. So um, probably my first role where I really kind of had to dig in there was a uh, co-working space and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial center that I ran in Charlotte called Packard Place. Um, it was it was a lot of things. It was a an entrepreneurial initiative in the city. It was a co-working space, as I mentioned. It was a, an office building. Um, so a lot of managing um, resources, really in terms of like physical space. Sort of the, there's a retail play mm-hmm. there that was a big part of the um, business model, and then there was a, a much larger you know how do we advance the startup community. So it was a lot of um, working with and coordinating groups of people who are volunteering their time or, or, you know, donating money towards a common goal. Um, from there, or, or while I was there, co-founded a startup accelerator um, that was sort of similar in managing the needs of the companies that were going through the accelerator, um, building groups of people that could sort of support. So um, mentors or, um, partners, uh, companies that were supporting financially the accelerator. Um, from there, I went to a company called uh, Level uh, that was has since been acquired. Um, and I started there in operations. Um, and so a big part of that business model, it was a software development agency. So, you know, the agency business model, you're essentially selling your time. And so um, I was tasked really early on with figuring out or, or sort of creating the system that we use to manage um, the time of all of our consultants. And, and that mm-hmm. process um, is sort of critical to that business model because we, to bring mm-hmm. on a new project, to to close a new sale, essentially we had to know we were going to have the consultants to, to you know, put on that job. Um, so it was a little bit of a chicken and the egg kind of a thing because um, mm. if we were bringing on a bigger job, we needed, you know, X number of consultants. And um, if we didn't have those people, we couldn't sell the job until you, you know, brought in and trained up new people. Um, mm. and so managing that process that sort of encompassed sales, it encompassed the HR and recruiting, um, and then just that sort of day-to-day operations of the business. It was, uh, it was a really interesting thing to kind of learn, um, and that company grew really quickly. So there was a lot of sort of, okay, this is a new job. We need to go hire, you know, five new developers and whatever the, the skill set was. Um, mm-hmm. That particular job or that that company was a little bit more complex because there was no, uh, there was no one language um, that it was focused on. So it could be mm. many different sort of focuses of uh, engineering. Um, okay. 
but that sort of taught me the balance of um, sort of how recruiting uh, people, how that sort of pipeline of you know new hires, new new uh, coworkers or employees can tie into the sort of overall business model and, and you know be sort of critical to the success of the company because it, it's it's a pretty sort of blunt um, need in the the consulting world because you kind of see okay the, the people essentially are our product so to sell we yeah. need more people yeah so how did you get into the people space and what do you enjoy about it yeah i i um at level i really got um really deeply into the recruiting side of things while i was there um and for a decent chunk of my time there. I was the closest thing we had to HR, even though it wasn't my title. Mm. Um, (laughs) Lots of hats again. (laughs) Lots of hats. Yeah. I I found that I really enjoyed, um, or or still, I should say, really enjoy hiring people into roles where I know they'll be really successful and Mm -hmm. it will help them to kind of advance in their careers. Um, And, you know, ideally they also like the job, they like the company. And so that's a big part of, um, obviously the HR and the people side of things. Um, and in the, the agency world, when people are your product, you, you definitely want to make sure that people are, are happy and they're, you know, going yeah. to stay, um, uh, because if they leave it, it causes all sorts of problems. Um, so that ability to, you know, find somebody who's obviously looking for a job or, or may not be looking, but, you know, is willing to, to have a conversation. Um, and connect them with a role that I know is going to be, you know, good for them in the long term. Like that, I really, really enjoy. So there are people that I've hired into jobs in the past who, you know, after I left, you know, went on to become a sort of a senior leader in the company. Um, and that, that I really derive a lot of kind of personal satisfaction out of. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, um, those are always, those are always fun sort of things to see. So. Yeah. And so one thing I know that you, um, you know, have managed over your career at startups is growing into helping people grow and startups grow into roles that don't exist yet, because you don't know what a year is going to look like from now. Um, You know, the growth can take many forms. So what has that been like for you in the startup world, um, working with people? Yeah, it's always a bit of a challenge. it depends on the the nature of the role a little bit. So if it's a, a highly technical role, so a, you know somebody starting in a sort of an engineering role, um, the main thing that I have looked for in the past, and this sort of varies a little bit, obviously by company and by you know engineering lead, um, mm-hmm. is people that are um, flexible and willing to learn. Um, because I find mm-hmm. that when you're hiring, if somebody we'll take engineers as an example. Um, If I'm talking to an engineer for a potential role and I know that they might have to to jump from one thing to another, um, I care a little bit less about their current skill set than how are they going to learn a new skill set? Do they have the ability to pick something up quickly? Um, Interesting. That plays out um, pretty obviously in the... um, the consulting space because we would have an engineer that that started with a specific technical focus and then a new 
thing pops up and it's like, all right, well, you have to go learn this new, this new language, this new framework, because the next job you're going to be on in two weeks is, is that, um, yeah. in, in other sort of startup environments, it's, um, it's a little bit less defined. Um, but if we have a role that, um, well, I can use, uh, the people team as an example, when, um, when the team is one, that person wears a lot of hats and then the team grows to two or to three. Um, I'm always trying to figure out the people that I bring in at, at two, where are they going to be when we're five or 10? Um, because mm-hmm. the, the roles will change and they'll get a little bit more sort of defined. Um, and so having people that have the ability to sort of have that broad focus, but then also, you know, a, both a desire and an ability to focus a little bit more. Um, that's always something that I'm kind of looking at because I obviously don't want to, I, I'm trying to plan for, you know, where are we in two or three years? Not necessarily where, what do we need to be right now? Um, obviously you're hiring right. for now, but um, trying to think through what's the long term for the company and then for, you know, this potential employee. Mm-hmm. So at Obsess specifically, I know you went from 25 to 75 people in a year. What was that like? Yeah, it was a lot. Um, my my first day, um, I set up a an ATS for us um, that was live by the end of the day. Um, oh wow! So when I when I started, um, credit to the team before I started because they had managed to. I think they'd hired um, ten people in a couple in like a month or two before I started post mm-hmm. a, a fundraising round. Um, and they had done it through sort of separate spreadsheets. Every every kind of manager had their own process, their own systems that they were working on. Um, okay. And it managed to to kind of work fairly well. But I, I kind of stepped in um, and sort of had to wrangle that process and, and build what our recruiting process looked like. Um, got that set up and just sort of started working. I think when I started, we had probably ten positions open that we were trying to fill. Um, wow. we hit a point, I think it was in January of this year where we had, uh, 20 open roles. Um, and at that oh time we gosh. were a team, we were a team of, I think 40, somewhere around there. So, so, you know, literally 50% new, <laughs> new positions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, was lucky to have a, uh, a CEO who, you know, understands and cares about you know, my team and, and sort of what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so brought in a full-time recruiter who's been fantastic. Um, and so she managed to take a lot of that kind of recruiting uh, off of my plate. And, um, we've done a lot with, with on the recruiting side with a team of two and now, now three. Um, but our third is uh, not specifically focused on recruiting, just kind of helps out. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of growth, but it's a little bit more, um, support for long-term growth than I've had in previous roles, which is, mm-hmm. which is really nice. I've, I've had previous roles where it's like, all right, well, you have to go figure this out by yourself because we can't bring yeah. another person to support. Um, so it's been, it's been really good. And I, I think um, it's easy to recruit and to hire and grow in that way. I think it's harder mm-hmm. to do that and still maintain sort of the company culture that you want and make sure that the, it's easy to bring in a bad candidate. Um, 
Yeah. But but it's it's a lot harder to make sure you're you're doing the process in the right way and sort of conscious of um you know, this person is going to be the right fit for the company for, you know, the long term, not just a, you know, a person to to fill a seat, you know, tomorrow because we need yeah. somebody. Exactly. So how did you keep that culture? So first, what is the culture and how did you keep that culture intact while you're going through such high growth? Yeah, Obsess has a really, I would say, an excellent um, culture um, in the sort of startup and tech space. So some of the elements of our culture are things that you would find in any sort of early stage high growth company. So there's um, a lot of change, as I mentioned. Um, and so being kind of comfortable in that change, being you know, mm-hmm. able to sort of jump in. It's sort of the, in a startup, that's not my job is never the right answer. Um, that's a, a, a big part of our culture. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. hours can be long because demands are high at this stage. Um, but we emphasize things like um, hard work, taking initiative. Um, we want people to um, sort of recognize that we're all kind of growing this thing together and to kind of treat it as, as a thing that they, you know, have a stake in. Um, we really care about um, people respecting one another and, and sort of being nice. Mm-hmm. Um, some startups, uh, lots of startups have that in their uh, sort of core values and they tend to go with the negative of, you know, mm-hmm. let's say, don't be a jerk. Um, usually it's a lot stronger worded than that. Um, <laughs> but, um, these are things that, um, our founder really tried to instill in the culture. And so on the side of my team, we've, um, tried to emphasize these as we're hiring, make sure people know, Hey, here's the, here's the core values that you're, you're going to be expected to kind of live by. Um, and we've tried to drill that into people and, and just kind of include it in sort of every sort of culture initiative that we have so we, we use a tool um called lattice for some of our people management stuff and you know anytime you're giving feedback to somebody um you know I, specifically the sort of positive public feedback you're tying it into a core value um and then we've tried to make sure that as we kind of grow what are the parts of our culture that that we really want to instill and, and make sort of um permanent and then what are the parts of our 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 culture, if, if something crops up, um, that, that we want to say, okay, this is not something that we really want to be long-term, um, because culture is changing constantly at this stage. Um, so you kind of really have to okay. identify and hold on to those things that you really want. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, employees, as they come on board, they know that they're going to have to wear a lot of hats, a lot, you know, it's a lot of work. Are you doing anything to protect employees from burnout or, uh, support their mental health? Yes. Uh, yeah, trying to. Um, so we have an unlimited PTO policy and we encourage um, people to actually use it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, unlimited PTO policies are, are, are good and bad. Um, yeah. I think they, <laughs> they kind of came out of this desire to, to not, you know, pay out group PTO when people leave. I think that, <laughs> exactly. that's part of the history of them. Um, so we, um, we try to make sure if, if somebody's, you know, working really, really hard for a week or two because they have a, a client project that they just have to get done. Um, you know, there's that kind of stuff happens. Um, 
we try to make sure that they have the ability then to subsequently, you know, take some actual time off and try to encourage that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the unlimited policy, especially as you hire people later in a year, um, because people tend to take a lot of time off around the holidays. And if you step into a new mm-hmm. role and you have to wait for it to accrue, that gives you like a negative balance on your PTO and it, it becomes a pain. Yeah. Um, and so if we're hiring somebody and they're like, Hey, I have a week vacation in, in a month. It's like, great, that's fine. Um, we other stuff we focus on. Um, so we have a mental health benefit, um, that's, a uh, free access to a mental health app. Uh, the name of the app escapes me off right now. Um, mm-hmm. and we're tar- starting to do things on the culture side. Um, like, um, one of the days in a week that we know is going to be really busy because we're coming into our busy season. Um, one of the, the women on our team uh, set up a, uh, a day where we're going to have two uh, massage therapists come in and do massages for the team. Oh, nice. Um, so starting to really focus on what are the little things that we can do on the people team to kind of help, um, help people to deal with the stress um, that, that's just kind of, you know, an inherent part of, of working in a company, yeah. um, but also identify, okay, this person's working a lot because of this, you know, particular project or, or this, this deadline. Um, and how do we kind of support that person as an individual versus just the, you know, large company initiatives that people sometimes don't take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about um, something that you mentioned when we first connected and you said that culture begins to take on its own form around the 100 employee mark. So could you explain what that looks like? Yeah. um, So in in my experience, um, I'm certainly not an expert here, but in, in my experience, the smaller the company, the more culture is impacted by each individual. So mm-hmm. if you're a team of 20 and you hire somebody who has a really negative impact on culture, that's felt across the whole team. Yeah. So you really need to pay attention early on to both the impact of an individual on, on a company culture, uh, but then also the things that you're trying to instill in company culture and, and those sort of cultural norms or, you know, core values are pretty flexible at that stage. As you grow, it, it, it becomes um, harder to change culture. And in my experience, somewhere in that 100-person range, um, company culture starts to exist independent of sort of any in, individual. Um, it still can be moved, still can be changed. Initiatives still impact it. Um, but there starts to be sort of cultural norms that, that exist in the company independent of, you know, my input or, you know, a specific thing that the, the CEO, for example, is trying to do or, or mm-hmm. tried to instill. Um, so I think it's really important in the stage where we are, which is that, you know, 65 to 75 person stage um, to really care about the, the culture and, and um, you know, how we're developing it as a company, because it becomes much harder to change um, past that, mm-hmm. you know, 100, 125 person mark. Um, and then from a, from a sort of company leader's perspective, I, I heard this from our CEO recently. Um, and I think she picked it up at a conference from a, a sort of founder's perspective, the, once you reach the 75 to hundred person, somewhere in that range stage, you, you probably don't know everybody in the company at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an interesting shift for a, for a founder. And, um, yeah. I'm obviously not a founder of Obsess, but, but that sort of shift from, okay, you're interviewing every single person that's starting to now you have a team of people that you've hired that are hiring people for you. Um, yeah. and so, so there's an interesting sort of conceptual shift. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll feel something similar in, in the context of my role where I'm not interviewing, you know, everybody necessarily at this stage or, or might not have, um, you know, had detailed conversations with people before they're starting. And so that, uh, the importance of that culture and what you're setting up is um, heightened at that point because you might not you know, interact and be able to explain the culture. It just kind of has to, has to be set up in advance, essentially. Yeah. And as teams are growing and departments, I can imagine that they have their own little pockets of culture based on their shared interests, their roles, and, and all that goes into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's worth encouraging. I think you want to avoid mm-hmm. the sort of silos that can happen between teams. Um, but it's it's sort of natural for teams to develop their own cultures. And I think that's that's fine. That's not a bad thing as long as it's um, done in such a way that's not sort of contrary to the sort of overall company culture you're trying to build. And especially as, you know, you have companies that are remote or have multiple offices, you, it's just inherent that if you have two different offices that are, you know, with, with teams that are physically present, the cultures are going to be a little bit different. And that's, that's something that I think needs to be kind of okay. Um, it's a little different for us. We're primarily in person. We have a handful of remote people. Um, so culture at this point is a little bit easier because we're, we're, you know, primarily focused on one physical space. Yeah. So knowing that you're in a fast paced environment, you're growing quickly. Um, you know, you had a huge year, what has been the thing you've been most proud of and what has been the biggest challenge of, of that year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, um, and, and I would say in terms of the thing I'm most proud of, um, I mean, I'm really sort of proud of the, the company and the team that we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, um, you know, if I really focus the, the team that I have, which is a, a team of three, including myself, um, okay. is really fantastic. And I, you know, really happy with the, the people that, um, have sort of joined my team over the last six to seven months. Um, so I think it's, it's the right team to kind of grow us to, you know, for the next couple of years. Um, the sort of stage we are as a company is really interesting. And, and um, I'm really kind of proud of the, the sort of, portion of my contribution to that um Mm -hmm. i think that um you know i'm I'm driven by my impact on the company as a whole um and Mm -hmm. talked about this a little bit and sort of what i've done in my career but um i'm probably i'm probably happier at this stage sort of you know about one year in um with sort of the the um the impact that i've had and sort of the the, the place that we are as a company um than i've been at, at any other stage of my career so it's a really great place to be it's hard for me to pick a specific thing um yeah because i you know i try to care for the company as a whole and the, the sort of direction that we're going as a company more than any other specific thing um the challenges um 
some physical sort of logistical kind of stuff. Um, you know, that growth right now we're in a co-working space. Um, and so the growth that we've had, we've moved offices all within the same co-working space. Um, I don't know, four or five times since I started a year ago. Um, so we have three different, um, co-working, three different offices within the same space right now. Um, and we're trying to plan for um, moving into our own sort of space outside of co-working. And so the, the sort of the planning that goes into that is a challenge because we fundamentally don't know how big we're going to be in three years. Um, and so that's probably one of the most interesting challenges that we're looking at right now from the, from the people side of things. I care, you know, we're, a little bit against the trend these days and that we, we, you know, really believe that having people in the office adds value to our culture and to our team. Um, and so we're, you know, an in-person um, company in New York. Um, so I, I firmly believe that if we're going to require people to work in an office, it has to be an office they want to work in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, trying to plan for, um, both, you know, functional space, but also space that's, you know, enjoyable for the team and something that accommodates us, you know, today and, you know, one or two years out is just a really interesting challenge. Um, and so we've started to look at, you know, dedicated physical space. Um, but, you know, we're a venture-backed company. We might raise another round, um, if we do, that changes growth rate, that changes headcount pretty dramatically. And so trying to sort of balance all of those things and, and working with, you know, our, our uh, director of finance to kind of figure out, like, where, where does he see the team size being at, you know, X period of time? Um, that's probably the most interesting challenge that I'm kind of working on at the moment. Yeah, Adam, this is awesome. I'm, it's so great to hear you, you know, be so proud of where you are um, in your career growth and just everything that you've done over the past year. Um, so congrats to you. It's been such, I can imagine, such hard work and to see you thrive is amazing. Um, so before we sign off on this conversation, I'd love for you to um, had a chance to let our audience know any final tips, advice, thoughts um, that you may have for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, the main thing, uh, which is something that I would imagine most people in the space know, is just kind of take care of yourself. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it, can be a, it can be a challenging, uh, a challenging and in some companies, a thankless sort of space to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, uh, you know, people in these roles tend to really care about their, their teams and their, you know, the company's yeah. employees. Um, and I think if, if I'm fortunate in that, um, I lacked this in some roles in the past, but the leadership here really values, um, my team really values what I do, um, which helps a lot. And, and I know that's not the case in a lot of companies. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we put a lot of emphasis on what do our teams need? What do our employees need? And, and um, can sort of ignore the sort of personal stressors. Um, yeah. So it's sort of that, you know, 
take care of your own mental health and your own, you know, physical well-being um, would probably be the um, the best advice I could think of for, um, and you know, advice I need to take myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, probably the best advice I could think of it for the uh, the particular yeah. audience. Yeah. It is great advice. So if people want to learn more about you or Obsess, what's the best way that they can reach you? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, Adam at Obsess VR. Uh, it's Obsess uh, Virtual Reality uh, dot com. Um, not really active on any of the socials outside of LinkedIn. They could also find me on LinkedIn. Um, but Adam Hill on LinkedIn will probably pull up a couple thousand people. So <laughs> they can... Uh, <laughs> They can email me or, or I'm sure this audience could, could find me on LinkedIn too. <laughs> so, so use the email is the best, <laughs> the yeah. best uh, suggestion. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Adam. If you or anyone you know is like Adam who's trying to put people first, reach out to me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.